Good morning, everybody. Uneducated Economist here. So I wanted to share a couple of articles with you. I was reading this morning, uh, two of them. And I tell you, like, even the professionals, like, I know there's a lot of economic theories out there. And nobody's going to be 100% right. Like, some people are going to be more right than others. But nobody's going to be 100% accurate on their predictions. It's like, impossible to do that. I mean, if you could do it, then you'd be, you know, fabulously wealthy and you certainly wouldn't be on YouTube making videos or watching YouTube videos. Like, that's my opinion on it. So when I read some of these articles out there and I think, okay, finally, I found somebody who's going to be talking about this, but then they still miss it. Right. And it's just like, darn it. You know, it was so close. Like, here's the problem that I'm finding with a lot of economic theory out there in that a lot of people are judging so much of the past to predict the future, which is really, I mean, the only way you can really do it is to look at your history and then that'll predict future trends. But the problem with it is, is that people expect something very similar or the same thing to happen. And it's not, it doesn't work like that. And you also have to take in, take into consideration that there are so many changes that come into the theories now that nobody had before. One of those is like cryptocurrencies, negative interest rates. I mean, those are things that nobody had ever considered as part of economic theory. But now we have to incorporate the, the idea of cryptocurrencies and negative interest rates into our economic theories, which 15 years ago, you wouldn't have done. Like that would not have been even part of the concepts. So every economist out there who has been studying this stuff since the 70s, a lot of them get stuck in the prior concepts that have existed, right? And so now moving forward, they're trying to incorporate these past ideas into the future trends and in, in predictions. And that's really where I think like a lot of people have started to, to cloud or obscure their predictions instead of looking at it in a more, um, I don't know how to say it, but in a new updated way i mean because the new theories of the of the economy is is going to start presenting itself from this point on i mean again with cryptocurrencies and negative interest rates the laws of economics are now being rewritten so when i see like articles talking about the average inflation rate i'm thinking okay cool here we have an economist uh, somebody who's writing an article for bloomberg talking about the average inflation which is something that not a lot of people are discussing right now. Everybody talks about the 2% target and how the Fed has way overshot their target, but very few people talk about the average inflation rate, the average inflation rate over time. Now, something that I'm finding finding really interesting within this article is he's, is I'm not sure if it was, I'm, I didn't find the author. I'm sorry. I should have done that first before I did the video, but I just, <laughs> anyway, um, what the author is trying to say inside of this inside of this article is that the price stability that the Federal Reserve is mandated was a two percent average inflation rate over time, right? And or they were mandated to do price stability, but they came up with this two percent target. They have recently changed that to the two percent average inflation rate over time. Now, something that I found interesting is by shifting from a two percent target to a 2% average inflation. And what a lot of people, and especially the economists out there, are thinking is that the Federal Reserve is still shooting for price stability because it's a 2% target. 
but it's not a 2% target. It's a 2% average over time. So you can have volatility within the inflation scenario as long as the average inflation is 2% over time. You can have extreme volatility within the inflation itself so long as it averages 2% over the long run. And this is where I think like a lot of people who are looking at the Federal Reserve and thinking of a Fed pivot, they're mistaken by it because that's where the average inflation is starting to come in. We don't know how far back they're going. Like, are they going back five years, 10 years? You know, when is it that the average inflation target has been achieved? I don't find a graph that says this is where the average inflation rate is currently. I don't know where it is that the Federal Reserve is explaining how they come up with this average inflation over time. Like I found the article talking about it. And as far as I know, there's no real place to go to and says, here's where your average inflation rate is currently right now. Right. They talk about where inflation is but not where the average inflation that the Federal Reserve is shooting for as far as their target goes. So that makes it arbitrary to me. Like whenever the Federal Reserve decides that it's now the average inflation rate achievement has taken place, you know? So again, the Fed isn't gonna pivot. They're not gonna pivot anytime soon. They're going for an average. We don't know what it is. We know that they failed to achieve their 2% target over time for the last 10, 15 years. So except for just a handful of times, just a few, you know, a few, brief moments did they actually get over that 2%, but for the most part, they were under it. So it's going to take a lot to get the average inflation up to that 2% target, whatever that is, you know, because it's not actually a set target, it's an overtime target. And it's very confusing. And so this is where a lot of economists are just so confused about what the Federal Reserve is going to do, whether or not they're going to pivot, if they've gone too far, if they're destroying the economy, they missed their targets, all this stuff. Because really, the Federal Reserve hasn't given us a clear view of what it is that they're trying to attempt to do, other than say, we're going for a 2% target over time. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Average inflation. All right. Um, so that's, that's one article I want to leave for you guys. The other one is talking about supply chain. And now this is one that just really gets me because people are just so blown away right now. They're like, oh my gosh, the trucking industry is going into shambles. There's all this inventory pile up. All these crazy things have happened that nobody was anticipating. 
You know, like this is something that I said was going to happen a long time ago. And I don't mean to be like I told you so kind of thing, but it's really just kind of blows me away that here the CEO of this major shipping trucking company is saying like we certainly weren't expecting such a dramatic drop in the markets, you know, like nobody was expecting this. And I'm thinking, are you were you not watching the uneducated economist? I mean, he's been talking about the bullwhip effect since like, you know, lumber started to move up to its all time highs. I mean, two years now I've been talking about the bullwhip effect and it wasn't me who came up with it. I was talking about the things that I was experiencing within the, the lumber industry and it was the commenter. It was it was somebody in the comment section who says, this is, you're describing the bullwhip effect. When I went and said, well, yeah, I remember the bullwhip effect. I went back and read about it a little bit more and I'm like, this is exactly what's happening right now. And so as I started looking deeper into the supply chain, because a lot of you, I mean, for those of you who don't know, I work in the lumber industry. I do retail sales for a living. Now, I've been in close communication with vendors and wholesalers, mills, I mean, loggers. Like, there is no part of the lumber industry that I did not have, like, a direct access to as far as information and, and people who are, like, in the in the industry that itself. So, I was able to really see pretty much the entire lumber picture that a lot of people couldn't see, not not in, the, not in the view that I had. They didn't have the contacts that I had. They didn't even have the macroeconomic understanding to try and put all these pieces together. And I'm not trying to brag it up. I just happened to be in a really unique position to see it. So when lumber was running up to 1700 per thousand and everybody was just like pointing at the lumber prices and pointing at the Fed saying, look, hyperinflation, the Fed is doing it, money printer go burr, prices go up, look right there. I was one of the few people out there who was screaming, no, that is BS. The lumber prices will come back down to a normal. And that's exactly what ended up happening. So still, even like, you know, the CEOs of these major trucking companies, they still don't get it. They don't get it what was happening. It was the severing of the supply chain. It was a stimulus package that went out. It was the overwhelming consumer demand that was completely fraudulent false, right? It was a fake consumer demand because all of a sudden the supply wasn't coming through and people started panic buying, over buying, paying too much, allocations, everything that was like could possibly cause the prices to go up because of a supply chain breakdown took place. And now we're finding that the inventory levels are starting to pick up. Ships outside of LA, no more. Hundreds of them, no. There was like zero the other day from what I understand. This is like a complete shift from what we were experiencing just, you know, just a few few years ago, not even a year ago. So that's where I'm kind of getting at as far as the supply chain breakdown is that this is really where the inflation has come in that is going to be temporary. Because at some point, all that stuff is going to start freeing up. Now, the problem with it is, is that we don't have the manufacturing taking place like we once did. And that's really where I've been trying to, like, get people to focus in on where the next major problem is going to come from. Because think about what's going on in China right now. we got these major protests over this COVID lockdown BS that has taken place over there that we all know shouldn't, like, the rest of the world has given up on COVID. But yet China is still in major lockdown. Like, you know, it has some kind of other other motive to it. Right. You know, and and we we can see it. We can see it plain as day that if you take the Cantillon effect into 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 consideration that if they slow their manufacturing down, 
then there would be less new money coming into the system and the people would not be diving into luxuries. They would not be having the bubble economy that is going to eventually blow up. It's blowing up now, right? But they're trying to do the controlled demolition thing to try and bring it down to restrict it as much as they can before they finally just back away from the whole thing and let the people go and then essentially let free market conditions fix the problem. Right? And that's the same thing we we're experiencing. God, I just ramble in the morning, don't I? Okay. That's the same thing we we're experiencing here in the United States. I was thinking about it. I said it on a live stream the other day. Is that there's, you know, I see people blame capitalism. All right. And I'm going to say one more thing and then I'm going to let you guys go because I got to go into work. But everybody blames capitalism. Now, capitalism, free market capitalism was what built this country, made it great. Okay, but since then, we have had all these rules and regulations that say, hey, you can't have all this free market capitalism because it's unfair to a bunch of group of people who don't know how it, how it works or how, don't know how to take advantage of this, uh, being a free market capitalist. Okay, so we need to manipulate the situation in order to give those people some sort of like fighting chance since they're just not going to do it. Right. They're not going to they're not going to do the free market thing. So as they start to restrict and manipulate the free market capitalism, what ends up happening is, is that it becomes this total manipulated Keynesian system in which that they feel that they can totally partake, you know, that government can take part inside of the economy and somehow this is okay. But then when they realize that they have done screwed it up so much with rules and regulations and restrictions, and, you know, all the stuff that goes with it, they have to finally say, okay, you know what, we're going to deregulate a lot of this stuff and deregulating somehow fixes the problem like for example um later this week i'm gonna have a video coming out with uh that i did an interview with lumberjack landlord and when he talks about some of the problems that he has as far as bringing um exhilarating dwellings auxiliary dwellings anyway like an additional like cottage in the back property or whatever so that you can rent it out like they're trying to find additional homes and so they put on these little smaller smaller dwellings on the property he was talking about the permitting and regulations that go into to getting these these little houses onto these properties before you even do any groundbreaking or anything we're talking tens of thousands i think he said something like thirty-five thousand dollars worth of fees and regular you know through all the rules and regulations and all the crap that you have to go through just before you even break ground on stuff. And so when you think about like how many rules and regulations and restrictions and laws and stuff like that, that prevent people from conducting themselves in a free market condition, like to be able to just really be able to provide the cheapest, most efficient, best products and services at, you know, at the most efficient, cleanest, easiest prices, that's free market capitalism at work, right? And that's how you end up fixing a lot of the problems that have existed from the manipulation of government and all these like restrictions that end up coming down to try and make things fair for people. It's not fair, right? There's no fair way of going about it. The fair way of going about it is to let free market capitalism do its thing and for people to understand how it is that they can partake inside of the free market capitalistic system without being feeling like old butthurt because they don't understand how it works. Okay. Man, what a weird morning. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. Uneducated economist. You guys let me know. Um, and be sure and check out the interview I did with Keta uh, from Lumber uh, Madison Lumber's report. Madison, Madison's Lumber Report. Boy, I'm having a hard time talking. 
uh, great interview talking about the lumber industry right now and some of the conditions that we should be expecting going into the future. So that was a wonderful interview. I also have a few more interviews coming up, including an excellent interview conversation that I had with Lumberjack Landlord Matthew. That one will be coming up uh, later on in the week, like I'm thinking Friday or so. Uh, but anyway, those are things that I think you should look forward to here on the channel and look for the descriptions down or look for the links down in the description. All right, uneducated economist, drank way too much coffee this morning. You guys let me know.